The Coffee People podcast is presented by Rostar Coffee Packaging. Rostar is the digital printing company that makes custom printed packaging for coffee products. They create packaging that make even small roasters look like a really big deal. At Rostar.com, you'll find out about their fast turnaround time, high quality product, and low printing minimums. It's what separates them from the rest of the industry. Rostar will quickly become your favorite source for custom American-made product packaging. They work with small, mid, and large coffee roasters. So if you're ready to upgrade your coffee packaging, go to Rostar.com to learn more and connect with the team. Link in this podcast's show notes. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Coffee People podcast, which is part of the Roast West Coast Coffee Network and presented by Roastar Coffee Packaging. If you roast great coffee and you want to showcase it in a great looking package, go to Roastar.com to learn more. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the coffee podcast where we meet interesting people from all corners of the coffee industry. Today, I'm touching base with Roastar's Danny Tobby. She is a marketing coordinator with a passion for sustainability and packaging innovation. Danny is someone I've had the pleasure of chatting with on several occasions as my collaboration with the Roastar team has grown and is, dare I say it, a friend. A friend that I learned a lot more about during this podcast interview. I also learned that sometimes it's harder for me to interview someone I already know. During our recording session, it was easy to forget to do my job as an interviewer and I would just get lost in conversation. So I warn you now that I talk way too much in this episode. Before we get started, I do want to define a phrase that comes up several times early in the pod. Early on, we're chatting about recycling, specifically for things like plastic bags or coffee packaging that can be commercially recycled, but aren't supposed to go into your bins at home. We refer to products that are store drop-offs, which is just a reference to those collection bins that you find outside of a grocery or department store where you can drop those to be recycled or reused. You've probably seen them there next to the automated doors. And with that, I think we're ready. Today, in honor of the Women's World Cup, I'm drinking coffee from Madison, Wisconsin's Just Coffee Co-op. It's their Wake the Flock Up medium roast, which they roasted to benefit the Forward Madison Football Club. I brewed a single cup this morning in a Kalita Wave Brewer which just keeps challenging me to succeed with. I'm really struggling, but I know I'll get there. Luckily, this coffee is so good, my own failings as a barista are dampered in the final flavor. I hope you're out there enjoying a full mug of something loud and vibrant and as unwavering as I am, because it is time for another Coffee People podcast conversation, this time with Danny Tobby of Roastar Coffee Packaging. I usually just start the show by saying, hey, welcome to the show. <laughs> Danny, let's get started. Uh, this is a new episode of Coffee People. Would you mind saying your name and where you work and what your role there is for everyone listening? Uh, and if you remember, maybe you could share your favorite Ninja Turtle or, or superhero from when you were a kid. Um, my name is Danny Tobby. I work at Roastar as a marketing coordinator. My favorite superhero was definitely Rogue from X-Men. Rogue. I'm a huge X-Men fan. Really? So. Mm-hmm. I'd have to think like through my brain to see if I remember that one. She has white or gray in her hair from some trauma, and she flies. That was the biggest thing, is that she could fly. Do you have a superhero skill that you wish you had, if you could choose one? 100% would be breathing underwater. Oh, really? Breathing underwater? Yes. Mm-hmm. I get that, but only because I'm I can't swim. So like, it'd be nice <laughs> if I fell off the boat uh, to be able to survive. I think would be, uh, would be a nice thing. If I could live underwater, I would. So that's why I'd like to just wow. breathe as long as possible, not have to worry about possibly dying. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, very cool. 
I would like that if the water was coffee, then I could just keep drinking from underneath. <laughs> and I could work that out. <laughs> oh my God, the caffeine. <laughs> oh yeah. But it's just part of my bloodstream at this point. It never yeah. ends. Mm. I am excited that you're here. You and I've talked several times and it's, I always enjoy just catching, like even now we just spoke, chatted for 20 minutes about, you know, nothingness, you know, before getting into this recording. Rostar is obviously a great supporter of this podcast. I really wanted to just chat with you and learn a little bit more about you and in particular, some of the sustainability stuff we were recently talking about at SEA, because that's something that I get really passionate about. Before we get into all that, I want to ask about you. Before Rostar, you probably had a life. I'm assuming you did <laughs> things. Uh, what was your life leading up to Rostar? And do you have like a coffee memory that kind of got you started that you remember even before you got into this industry? Like, oh, yeah, this is kind of interesting. This is something that's going to be part of my my life. Yeah. So I've been very blessed, I would say, in the way that I have done a lot of things in my life. Actually, it's kind of a running joke here at Roastar that whenever anyone asks about something, I come up with some experience I've had in my past and everyone's <laughs> like, what have you not done? Like, what haven't you done? I have a lot of experience in different things. For example, I have a background in graphic design. I have a degree in graphic design and visual communications. I have a history with merchandising and screen printing I started my own business in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, in personal training and in, uh, nutritional training, and then also owned a tattoo shop with my ex-husband at that time for many years that focused on a mission of conservation and sustainability. So I've kind of done everything. And then during COVID, my life changed a lot and I ended up landscaping for a little while. And then I ended up working at an organic grocery store downtown Wausau after I moved home. Yeah. Then after things kind of opened back up a bit, I found out about Rostar and I'm very happy to be here because it seems like the role that they needed to fill was full of all of those crazy random Danny skills. So <laughs> here I am. <laughs> I was going to ask, is that what your resume was? Like, we need someone to do marketing and sustainability. And you're like, well, I had a tattoo shop and was a landscaper. So yeah. I know all those worlds <laughs> in between. I first got hired for customer service and then actually I asked just like I always do a ton of questions up and <laughs> it happened to be about sustainability mostly. And then that actually led to us forming our sustainability committee. So I kind of fell into conservation here from just my own passion and um, yeah, that kind of started kicked us off. I would say not that they weren't already working on things. Will, the owner here, is very cognizant of that um, as an issue and was working hard on that as well. So we just partner really well together. Well, it's also an issue that is a rabbit hole that is harder than necessarily just going with the cheapest, fastest, easiest way of things. And so Ugh. you need somebody who who not only is intelligent about it, but cares and gives a shit because there's going to be moments where you're like, I could just do it a little bit easier and it's still going to be good. but. Uh, but maybe not as good or not as sustainable. And so you need that person driving that ship, that part of the ship in the company. It's just mm -hmm. such a huge landscape and in packaging, which is inherently wasteful to some extent. It's, it's the thing that we, that holds the thing that we want. And then, yeah. <laughs> then what do you do with it when you're done? Uh, I have a, a, a drawer filled with coffee bags because I like the design, but also because I just can't, I don't really know what to do with them. You know, I use them for all sorts of things. They, they're like my little trash in the car or, you know, whatever. What about coffee? Do you, I mean, are you a coffee drinker? Did you, do you remember drinking coffee in your previous life was, you know, yes. how did, how does, how did coffee fit into your world? So when I was a kid, I knew a different form of coffee. I would drink coffee with my grandmother and my grandfather all the time at home. You know, maybe it was just a little bit here and there, but then my dad would get cappuccinos from like Quick Trip, you know, like the machine mm -hmm. coffees. <laughs> so that's what I knew about coffee for the longest time. But when my grandfather, when I got a little bit older, my grandfather took me to a place called the Daily Grind in Winchester, Virginia, where I lived at the time. And I remember, I feel like that changed my world because going into a coffee shop and 
getting that environment, understanding that there's actually like an espresso machine and beans and smelling those things, but then also the ambiance of the environment just felt so cozy and homey. And I was obsessed with coffee shops past that point. Honestly, I'm, this might be like blasphemy to say, but I'm probably more into the coffee shop than I am the coffee at most for me personally. <laughs> no, that's not blasphemous. I mean, I think it's a whole experience. I come from a, you know, the restaurant side and designing and building restaurants. So I love like the layout and the design and why did you do this thing, you know, to, you know, what makes a coffee shop feel like home as opposed to a shop where they seemingly did everything right and it's nice and clean, but it just doesn't have that thing. Yeah. Uh, the unique that makes you feel that warmth when you come in and I'm just going to soapbox and say, I think it's the people generally uh, that make the difference, but you know, not always. Sometimes it's just, you know, it's just a design issue or or trends change at Rostar. You guys, one of the things that we talked about at uh, SCA in particular was your new sustainability efforts. And I really want to get into that, but would you mind kind of talking a little bit just about, the types of coffee packaging that maybe the company was known for before and then how with your new role and the role that you're in now that has been shifting and adjusting and how the sustainability piece comes into it. I think in my maybe historic limited historical coffee packaging education, you know, I think I've, it's usually comes in a bag. It looks relatively recyclable, often brown. Now we have a lot, a lot of cool designs and things, and you guys do. I mean, we have our design feature, but there's usually a liner in it that means that it's not recyclable or a vent of some kind, like where the bag's recyclable, but the vent is not. There's all these little complex things, and this question is growing. Apologies. <laughs> but what, 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 what was your goal with this role? Like coffee packaging was here, and we're trying to move it a little bit this way. Does that make sense? Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. I I think one reason that I've experienced so much in my life, as far as jobs are concerned, is because I love to learn and I have to be passionate about what I do and it has to align with my values. Even though I don't have uh, an extensive background in biology, I was always into the environment, conservation it just was a very big passion of mine. Even at our tattoo shop, we donated to mission blue to in efforts to conserve the coral reefs that have been dying. So when I first started the idea or when I first worked at Rostar, I felt like I had to find something positive because just on the overall, you're like, Oh, this is plastic packaging. And it's like, so what happens? Like how, you know, is there waste that comes from production? Is there waste that comes from, you know, our suppliers? Like how, how, how does this all play into this? And of course I was new to the packaging industry at that time. So I think some of those questions really led me to investigate not only inside of our company, which of course they had better answers to because they were more experienced than I was, but also in our community, we've, are known for having a niche in the industry as far as working with entrepreneurs and small coffee shops or coffee businesses and roasters that need a smaller minimum. That's kind of our first and foremost was a smaller minimum made locally so that, you know, you can order 500 bags versus 5,000 or 25,000 to get the price point that you needed. Some people cannot just can't do that. On top of the fact that ordering those 25000 from overseas may not be, you know, part of the value system for that company as well as far as emissions and just the transportation and the way that they're made and what they're made out of. So we kind of first and foremost filled a niche inside of the industry to be more cognizant of making smaller quantities more available to our customer and being able to adapt quickly to the customer's needs. That's kind of what we're taking forward inside of our sustainability initiative as well as right now we are changing to a very, very rapidly changing environment inside of the sustainability efforts inside of the country even recycling is largely unregulated in America and, and honestly worldwide 
people, or I should say organizational efforts have been becoming more concise and clear and regulated as well. So we are keeping a close eye on those changes. And we have also, for the last two years, if not more, have been doing our own investigations into a lot of those programs to make sure that we know exactly what's happening to the packaging that we're deeming to be recyclable or even our plastic packaging. How is this being filtered into the landfills? You know, if if someone's dropping off at store drop-off, where does it actually go? And if someone's putting a recyclable logo on something, what does that actually mean? Can someone just put that on their design and just say it's recyclable? Does that mean that it's con- a contaminant inside of that recycling stream? We're finding out a lot of those answers are usually not as beneficial as we think. Not that recycling is bad. That That is not the issue. We Recycling is an effort that's a challenge, and we will continue to fight the good fight in that way for, for a long time. But it's just uh, not, it's a challenge, and it's not easy and straightforward. You know, especially with store drop-off or recycling efforts, like first and foremost for coffee packaging and flexible packaging, There's not an easy way to recycle something that flat and flexible, you know, curbside recyclable is rigid plastic that gets categorized through a machine. And if any plastic bags are put into that machine, they can get caught, they can um, disrupt the sorting process, and then also can hinder the safety of the employees there trying to fix that material. That's actually, there was an interesting story in our local paper about that, where at the recycling plant here, if you threw your recycling into the bin inside of a plastic bag, which a lot of people would do because it's usually in a bag in a bin in their house, they just tie mm-hmm. it up, throw it in there. If you did that, it was easier for them to like have like a automatic arm that would sort those bags out at the recycling plant and just send them to the landfill right? because it was too much labor or work or whatever to deal with sorting them once they got there. And if the bags went through, they would gum up the works and they'd get stuck behind and, and, and backed up. So I just want to clarify, it sounds like to me what you're saying is as a company, not just as you personally, you've been creating a product for a long time, doing a good job of it. People like the packaging and the, you know all, the, all that fun stuff. But you're starting to say, or you have been saying, it's not just our responsibility to create this thing that we think is a great product or has the ability to be recycled, you're actually taking stock of like, where is this packaging going? And the the end life of the package after it's long gone from the Rostar facility. Oh, 100%. So something that's a challenge for us is that we're not only educating and connecting with our customers, we're also needing to connect and educate their customers and help them to help our direct customers be able to speak directly to their customers. That sounded a little bit more complicated than I wanted it to, but <laughs> I think it makes sense. You know, you're you're providing information to these these clients of yours, but realistically the end user is the customer buying from them. And so exactly. if they don't understand the message, it it's all for naught, right? So how exactly. can we make it easy for them to get this point across that this package is either A recyclable or B not, and here's what you can do with it. Exactly. So we want to be clear and concise. And we also want to know and be confident in our language and in the actions that we're having those consumers and customers take. So for example, store drop off recently, there was an investigation in the ABC news about Walmarts and targets. Uh, They used a tracker, they placed trackers, and I think it was like 50 bags and placed them in store drop-offs around the country. And they found that 40 of those bags-ish, this is like not specific, but this is around about, um, about 40 of those bags were sent and found in landfills. Walmart and Target specifically have been removed from the list of store drop-off. But we had been, along with ABC, been doing our own investigation to that same type of situation as we were kind of going down the stream and developing a store drop-off material, we wanted to make sure, like, how do we make sure that this is going to be the best possible resource for our customers and for the environment? And so 
again, it's, it's, it's a challenge inside of the industry and it's a challenge inside of recycling in general, because that education needs to come from the top and filter to every single person. So for example, at some of those facilities, store drop off as a, as a program is through the business as an entity, like so through Walmart or through Target. So as a headquarter, not like each specific location. For example, there's like a plastic buyer that will buy plastic from Target. They have a contract together. But it's also Target's responsibility at that part at that point to come back and say, manager, please make sure that, you know, this employee knows that we need to collect these and they need to go to said warehouse and then be delivered and bailed to the that person. Um, so even knowing that, like, there's no really easy way of someone saying like, oh, this is what store drop off actually is. Sometimes you can just assume like, oh, that's a positive thing happening. And then I'm just going to do it and walk away and just feel good that I did my part. But when you w- look through, it's like, there's a lot of factors at play inside of those types of programs. The nearest store drop off, which is on, for us mostly Amazon bags because we use re- reusable bags at grocery and stuff. So we don't have a lot of bags in that that way. But like packaging from shipping things that we've ordered, uh, the, the nearest store drop off is like a mile and a half away. And it doesn't sound like much. I mean, I can ride my bike over there or walk over there. But as these this packaging builds up over time and you kind of start to see it, the, the annoyance as a human, is it seems so minimal. But the fact that I can't just throw it in the bin outside my house is one step in between that bag getting into the recycling stream and, you know, ending up in a landfill. And, you know, maybe I'm cleaning up the yard and I find my box with all the packages of bags and want there, it's too full. And I'm like, oh, I'll just throw this one out and, you know, take the rest in when I get there. There's all these little uh, roadblocks to recycling. I'm wondering... Are there ways to bypass that system entirely? I mean, are there non, you know, store drop-off recycling that I can just throw in the bin? I mean, are there other types of new packaging coming out on the market that are more recyclable or easily recyclable or somehow or reusable in a way that as the end user who's wants to brew his coffee and then forget that there was any other effort that had to be put in, not that I do that, everyone, but, you know, that makes life a lot easier at eight o'clock in the morning or whatever time you're up, you know, where's Rostar moving towards in that regard or studying or thinking about trying to get to a point where you feel confident that the product you are, you've given your clients all the tools they could possibly have to make sure that they have a sustainable product. So that's a great question. Um, as we have been doing a lot of research based on our customers requests we get a lot of requests about compostable product and a want for curbside recycling we have seen that maybe the end of life of these products isn't necessarily the only thing to consider that being said we have been working on a more compostable bag product for flexible packaging And then we did also have our tin cans that we released last year that are 100% curbside recyclable. Those we have. And then something we've been doing a little bit more digging into is how do we make everything more environmentally friendly? I think for the longest time, because so many of our customers have to deal with changing regulations inside of packaging and plastic, there's been a lot of talk about the plastic end of life parts of recycling. At the same time, we've been working with a consultant to work more on our carbon emission footprint for every single one of our products, not just the recyclable products. And then also we have worked with a partner who is taking our plastic materials that are not recyclable and turning them into clean energy here in Wisconsin at a local energy plant. That's kind of cool. I I don't mean to assume you know, but how do you take a piece of plastic and turn it into energy that can be used again? I don't know the entire (laughs) in and outs. Let's get that guy on the phone. Yes, he's pretty cool. And we are touring there soon. But we have started that relationship. They have figured out a way to pelletize the non-recyclable bags and remove 
some of the contaminants from those bags that then turn those plastic bags into a cleaner energy source than fossil fuel. So for example, in a local plant in Wisconsin here, they are, because the plant was once fossil fuel, this technology is easily transferable to this cleaner energy. So they're hoping to build this relationship with multiple other plants in not just the state, but the country to be able to provide this cleaner energy source and then also divert all of this landfill waste from, or all of this waste from the landfill. So it's a big deal. And it's, and that's how easy it is to get focused so much on the end of life and recyclability and, and compostability, which we still are, and we are still developing those tools. We also still want to remember that the larger picture here also is to reduce waste overall. And that's what we're working to do. That's an interesting concept that I think it's lost. You've mentioned the term end of life of a plastic product a few times. There's also a lot of steps along the way where maybe it's not the best, most perfect answer, but it's an improvement and it's a it's pushing the baseline forward towards sustainability, which is important. I think not just in coffee, but in all kinds of other industries, like things we never think about. There are ways to improve. The wine industry right now is going through a reckoning with their bottles where they're making the bottles with a better glass that is just as strong and stable, but is actually thinner. So it improves sustainability by one, using less product, but two, less weight means less transportation effort, less fossil fuels being burned, transporting it, and a thinner glass means that you can actually compact and store things in a smaller space. It's just a it's a whole list of things you would have never expected. You know, I remember being in design school and learning that the type of font you use will determine how much ink is used, which will then determine how expensive a book is to be printed or a booklet or a poster. But on the other side of that, uh, developing a font that uses less ink or has microscopic little blank spaces that you can't even see because your brain just fills them in will use less ink and therefore be less impactful. And little things like that and And all the little touch points we have in our life every day are are just shocking, you know, like when you really, and exciting and and kind of like, wow, I never would have thought of that as a way to improve sustainability. What we're really getting at is the landscape has changed and the technology has changed. And as companies or as individuals, we have to find our lane in it and kind of veering back to Rostar, coffee has changed, you know, maybe that's an Rostar's origin, which we learned from Nick Schmidt on an earlier show, kind of got like the brand really got launched at a coffee a festival where you won an award for design and packaging. That led to this entire coffee focus. But as coffee changes, like we're in uh, the, you know, what some would say the end of the third wave going into the fourth, if that's even a needed term, uh, Chris O'Brien might argue with us if you're listening, Chris. But you also have to change with the needs of your clients and the demands for sustainable packaging have also increased from customers like me, which then to customers like your clients, the the roasters or the, the brands themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, is there a question there? My question yeah. is, is, is how do you continually moderate or how do you continually adapt to the demands of your customers, which are changing faster and faster every year? You know, I, I'll, I'll take it back even. When we were standing together at SEA for a few minutes, you weren't necessarily talking about your Rostar stuff. We were together looking at other packaging companies and seeing what no. they were doing around the space. So how do you mm-hmm. kind of keep track of all that stuff while also doing your job? That's such a good question. I hope my bosses are listening right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm sure we no. can get them the link. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's a really good question because that's a, it's a huge challenge, um, especially because there are so many people doing so many things. And I think everyone's trying, most people are trying to do the right thing. So you want to look at what people are doing and saying, oh, that's a really cool initiative. Like, you know, do we want to incorporate that? Is that a place we want to go? But I guess, I guess it comes back to the fact that we really want to listen to our specific customer and be as transparent as possible. And I think in that transparency, we educate our customer to 
ask us really deep questions and truly get the answers. And then also even kind of going back to design, we talk to them a lot about, you know, some of these customers are creating a logo for the first time. Like some of the customers are drawing the logo themselves or, you know, they're marketing for themselves for the first time. And this is the first time that their logo is going to be printed on something and this is going to start their brand. So we really try to work with our customers and let them know the challenges that they may face in the printing industry with our experience and become like a trusted expert in that way. Mm-hmm. And then also we do push people to work with designers, not only because it would really like you were saying, alleviate them from having to take a lot of that education on themselves, which some of our, a lot of our customers try to do, like, especially as a designer, when I worked in customer service, I felt like I was an Adobe <laughs> salesperson because I was like, okay, so I know there are apps out there, but Illustrator might be where you really want to start just because you're putting this time and effort in. And as far as a print standard, Illustrator is still the standard, you know, or some of those Adobe products versus like some of the apps like Canva, for example, are great and wonderful. And I love that designing is becoming more accessible to the lay person, if you want to say it that way. But at the same time, when you go to export a file and then you have to like subscribe to this app to get that version that the printer needs that can become an issue. So talking to someone who not only knows those in ins and outs of the industry through printing, that's really going to make sure that your brand looks the way that you're hoping to. I mean, they're really trying to encompass your story as a company. They're trying to leverage you inside of your industry, inside of your community and be unique in that way. They'll be able to kind of give you more of these aspects of uniqueness um, to be able to really sell your brand and genuinely stand behind it. So I really like working with designers. We work with them very, very closely. Like you and I, we have that background. So it's really awesome to have a library of people that really support us and we support them. And then we just, we are very, I think we're very trusted by our customer to help them through some of the challenges of even starting a business. I don't think I answered your specific question. (laughs) But but, that's okay. That's the whole point of the show is to just see what comes out. (laughs) Yeah. I think that that it's a really interesting time, especially with what we're seeing in AI and even with professionals looking at what capabilities are coming out on almost a weekly basis and going, whoa, like that used to take me 20 hours to design. You know, I could do that, but it's, now all I have to do is type in a few things and it gets close enough. And, you know, for me, I work in Photoshop. I work in, you know, Adobe Creative Suite. I work in Canva. I work in in a bunch of different things. And I've, I've learned to work with them all together for various needs. You know, some right. things need a quick and dirty thing that I can do yeah. in an app. Some things need a lot more attention and care. I can do some of that because I have a background in that balance and I can say, oh, I know the capabilities of these things. Exactly. That being said, uh, my capabilities understanding ends in the early 2000s. That's where my knowledge ends. And so I just kind of ignore a lot of the new fancy things that would make my job easier (laughs) because it's a challenge to learn. What is something you've learned since coming on board at Rostar about working in coffee that has surprised you? Uh, or that you've kind of learned as you've had to go? I mean, you were in design and creative spaces and sustainability, but the coffee industry is is new to you. Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I honestly still am learning a lot about it from drinking it to then, like you said, just admiring the designs on the packaging to now being a part of a packaging industry I guess the little the little things are what surprised me. Like, for example, understanding that like a pound of coffee um, weighs different dependent on the, the roast. You know, if it's dark roast versus a light roast, those types of things. I, I would never have thought of that. How inside of this industry, I, mean, I know you're asking specifically about coffee. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I, I mean, there's so much of coffee that I don't know, but I guess the idea of like, and I go in my head from like farm to table type situation where it's like, okay, 
I always had questions about the whole process and like how things get places, but that's what I do with everything. So I, it's hard for me <laughs> to think like to come outside of my bubble, I guess that's why I'm where I'm having a challenge. Well, let's go with that. Let's go down that path then. And you're talking about how things get from point A to point B. One part of that is like from producers to, you know, transportation to a port somewhere uh, domestically for us sent to a roaster, roasted, sent to a coffee shop maybe, and then into the cup of the customer. A lot of that starts with uh, connections, you know, literally humans meeting each other or talking to each other, either over Zoom now, which is an amazing way to like connect with people around the world or video chat. I shouldn't just say Zoom, but there is a human connection there at some point that gets that coffee from a plant somewhere into somebody's cup. And a lot Mm -hmm. of that happens at festivals or at industry trade shows, that sort of thing. Rostar developed an entirely new kind of festival setup, so to speak, or event oh, setup sure. recently uh, that they then shipped across the country. Uh, I'd love to know what the invoice was on shipping all that stuff, by the way, from Wisconsin to where we were in uh, in Oregon at this big event. What was developing for that like for you, like developing the festival experience and what you wanted to offer customers or people there that will then go back into their part of the coffee world? And remember Rostar as a place that, hey, I can get packaging and these are the things that make them different from every other packaging company. Sure. Yeah, there's a lot there, too. The way that we present ourselves at the show is important and we wanted to present ourselves in a way that makes us accessible to any customer. We also try to represent a lot of our customers at every show or we choose regionally because that's where we're going because we do have so many customers around the world, especially in the U S but trade shows are definitely where we started. And I definitely think that genuine connection is where we live as far as a company. I think we match, you know, people up to a representative internally just so that they have a go-to person every time they talk to somebody And I think trade shows help us get those people into those communities and really ask more questions, be able to meet that customer a little bit one-on-one, talk about their challenges Mm -hmm. and really show them too what we're working on. And we're working on projects with them in mind. You know, a lot of what we do comes from the feedback from our customers. So to be able to show them that we've listened to them, that we have developed something that they have been asking for at a trade show, that is kind of where that presentation and like delivery happens. So that part's really exciting to see how someone, how someone looks after they see a product that they've been waiting for is probably kind of considered, you know, probably relate relates to like when we were talking about design and like certain features we were waiting for and how we're seeing them incorporated into technology. Now, some of these companies have had these ideas, but they were just waiting for the technology to develop and we're the person that's developing that. So that part's really exciting and seeing how much coffee does touch so many different people and, you know, how we can be a better part of that story is really cool. I thought the shows were, are really fun and they are exciting. They're exhausting. And (laughs) (laughs) uh, thank God there was so much coffee there for us to drink. But yeah, it it was, SC was really great opportunity for us to really experience not only how it feels to be at a show, but then also what a customer goes through going to a show and how they feel. Sure. And and it's not just SEA, you know, the event, the one thing a year. I mean, I've seen you at events, I think in Louisville, you're going to be at An- in Anaheim oh, yes. at Coffee Fest this Coffee fall Fest, in August. Yeah. You'll probably see me there, uh, I'm guessing, uh, since it's right down the road. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're all over doing these things and doing this outreach. And, and for you in particular, the education component of, hey, this is what's possible today with sustainability versus this is what's going to be possible tomorrow. Planting those seeds, I think, is such a value add. I feel like I, I I did you a disservice today by asking you all these questions that are seven questions in one and not preparing you for that. Next time I will do we'll do weeks of prep. We'll get really really into it. I'll do a better job of being concise. I'm wondering what I missed about, in particular, the sustainability efforts of Rostar, if anything, that you would want to share today, or any other kind of, hey, this is something I was hoping to talk about and Ryan didn't ask me. 
I mean, I, I took so many notes. I worked on this for two days and I feel like I just ended up going all over the place. Two things, at least. What we get inspired by is our customers. And I really love talking about that because our customers are so unique. But then also our sustainability initiative, we we did talk about that a bit, but we do have like three pillars that we kind of go off of, which I think we did kind of talk about. Yeah, but let's be a little more concise about it. You know, like, let's just kind of label those three pillars and let people know what they are. Yeah. So the first one for us is our product development and our carbon footprint through that development. We do hope to have recyclable and sustainable material choices in each style of our bag. So that's going to be really exciting moving forward. We work to divert waste from the landfill. Um, That's when we work with our partner to take our plastic waste and turn that into energy. So that's a big initiative for us that we started earlier this year. And then even bigger to us is then again, our third pillar, which is transparency and education through community involvement. So we try really hard to avoid greenwashing, which we didn't talk about too much. But greenwashing is the idea of either you know, placing something on a package that says, oh, this is recyclable, and then leaving it at at that and just hoping that it's true when really it's not always. So we want to get rid of that kind of language. And even if it takes working with our competitors to do that, because it's a bigger mission here at hand than just us as individuals. So we're trying really hard to focus on building, well, first researching, then creating resources that work with our communities because they're the people that have to deal with the end of these packages and processing them. So we want to make sure that we're developing something that in our local community can be processed correctly in a way that helps their efforts because they're the people that really have to regulate it, deal with it, get funding for it. And so it really is going to take working with businesses like us in the private sector, working with our communities to develop more and larger initiatives to be able to fund those things and make it more accessible in each community. Wausau, where Rostar is based, as is, is everyone knows, I think that listens to the show regularly, is my hometown. And I think it's actually a really great locale to have an initiative like this where you're trying to work within the structure, especially of the community, because it's it's definitely not a place where environmental sustainability has always been on the forefront. I mean, it's a paper mill town originally. That's kind of its origins. I, I very much remember driving past every time Close you go to town, seeing the, <laughs> the plumes of smoke coming up at all hours. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's a growing community that is being stretched on both sides by either business demands or progressive environmental demands. Uh, we have a lot of great natural resources there, you know, the rivers and the lakes and the, and the forests that are all in people's awareness all the time. So finding ways to incorporate this into a community like Wausau, maybe I'm just I'm being a little rosy-eyed here, but would would imply that it, it's a transferable set of policies or skills or efforts into a lot of communities around the country that find themselves split on both sides of, I mean, I would say the political divide a little bit, but also just this idea of where we should be putting our priorities. There's a lot of competing demands in a small, smaller community. And when I say smaller, I mean like smaller than New York City or something. I don't mean like the tiniest town of a few hundred people. It's somewhere kind of in that middle. It's a nice hub city with a mall and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, now I'm defending Wausau and I don't even... Well, and we don't have a mall anymore. <laughs> Well, nobody has a mall anymore. Yeah. Andy. That's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. We've gone beyond the mall uh, state. Of, yeah. Now we just have uh, malls filled with pickleball courts. That might just yeah. be California. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. But I, I think that it's a cool, it's cool that if, if you can get things to work there, to me, it seems like, wow, that could work in a lot of other places around the country. So it's a nice breeding ground for innovation. Speaking of Wasa, if you were to go out and get a cup of coffee somewhere, is there anyone in particular that you like uh, to get coffee in? Because I'm going to be there soon and would like to get coffee myself. And when you are there, what do you order? Oh, man, there's a couple of places. I do love coffee shops. Uh, so Tuckney is one a popular one that you'll probably hear. They're kind of more central. And then there's a place called Vino Latte um, that's been around for a little while. Uh, I Friends I'm of the show, Vino Latte. Oh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. 
At Vino Latte, I think they have amazing combinations and seasonal drinks. So I will always go for their seasonal. And I don't do that everywhere. Like, I love <laughs> what they come up with. I think it's very, they're unique and tasty, which is not always the case when people try to experiment with those things. So I really do like that. But when I go to Tuckney, I think they're very dialed in with their actual roasts of coffee. So I'll usually do an oat milk latte cold and try like some kind of flavoring that they have, but mostly an oat milk latte. Well, I will absolutely let you buy me an oat milk latte at the yeah. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. <laughs> Danny, I think talking about sustainability can be a challenge because it's such a big and ever growing topic. Uh, I really appreciate that we just spent an hour doing that. And I know that we'll talk again and I'll learn more and more and more. And even after the show, I'm sure we'll email and you'll be like, I, we should have said this. And no. uh, we're going to get that into the newsletter, which, you know, if you're listening to the show, there's a newsletter. You can find it on roastwestcoast.com. Thank you for being here and for working with me on the show and being supportive of this show, but also caring about something so much so that you kind of, uh, you keep pushing the places that you are down that path. I, I just find that very inspiring. Thank you very much. That was very kind. And I very much appreciate being on the show and your candor and the amount of interest that you have in the amount of things that I know about, like, and that we share that, I feel like. Off air, I'm going to ask you about where I should get a birthday tattoo. So we'll, we'll get to that. Oh, uh, very much. <laughs> I have all the answers for you. Yeah. Okay, some key takeaways from today's episode. It's a really challenging thing to talk sustainability or recycling and packaging when the rules are constantly changing, depending on which town, county, state, or country you happen to live or do business in. To succeed in those areas requires a combination of technology, community will or desire, and the ability to educate the end users of a product. As for Danny, her passion for sustainability has been a guiding light throughout her career, or careers, and her willingness to ask questions has enabled her to make and continue to make her mark at Rostar. Rostar has found a niche working with small business entrepreneurs that need or want smaller batches of packaging by guiding them through a complex process. Today's chat brought up a lot of questions for me, questions like, what is the lifespan of a package? Who is responsible for the waste of a product that is put out into the world? And why the F is doing the right thing in regards to sustainability so challenging? Maybe the biggest thing I took away from my chat with Danny is just how many things have to be considered when trying to prevent waste in the lifespan of a product or a package. That foundational work, work often unseen, will make it easier for the rest of us to both recycle and feel good about our efforts at minimizing our impact. Finally, Rostar's relationship with clients is based on really wanting to listen to them and be as transparent as possible, so they can become a resource for their packaging and for helping them share their story. I'll vouch for the transparency part. I was recently visiting home and the team at Rostar invited me in to wander around, explore their facility, which is much bigger and cooler than I anticipated, and ask questions to my heart's content. I always have a lot of them, so a big thank you to my tour guide, Sadie. I also went to those shops that Danny recommended, Tuckney Coffee and Vino Latte, while I was in Wausau, and I even found a new place on the north side called the Pickle Jar, which I definitely recommend. But I am sad to say that I did not get that birthday tattoo, at least not yet. If you want a recap of today's show and Roastar's Three Pillars of Sustainability, you can find it in this show's post on RoastWestCoast.com. You'll also find links to Roastar and details on how to find them and me at Coffee Fest Anaheim. I'll be doing interviews and giving people a chance to win coffee every afternoon at the Hosea Coffee Source booth just down the road from Roastar. You can find all the details on RoastWestCoast.com. That link, as well as the link to Rostar, in this podcast show notes. You just can't miss it. Thank you to Danny for spending a few hours chatting with me on and off the show, and thank you to Rostar for being the presenting sponsor of the Coffee People podcast. 
Roastar prints coffee packaging, and focuses on building relationships with coffee brands and small businesses. You can learn more at Roastar.com. They just might be the right partner to share your big story. This show's other coffee industry partners are here to uplift the coffee community. You should check them out because, among other things, they're freaking awesome. They include Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, Marea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Ascend Coffee Roasters, Mosher Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, San Franciscan Roaster Company, Crossings Coffee, Ascento Coffee Roasters, Camp Coffee Company, Civets Roasting Machines, First Light Coffee Whiskey, and Hasea Coffee Source. Links to those businesses and much, much more on the front page of RoastWestCoast.com. This Coffee People podcast is part of the Roast West Coast Coffee Network. And this episode is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope that this episode of Coffee People has found you with a full cup of coffee. Thank you for tipping your baristas, and always be sure to drink good coffee. What I find is really interesting is I left design as a career maybe eight or nine years ago uh, already. It seems to have gone by really fast. And part of it was, was because I realized that I wasn't going to be the best of the best of the best designers. I was going to be the person who makes other people's designs better. That's what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. But recently, in the la- and, and all the apps came out in every small business or every a lot of my clients were like, well, I can do this myself for cheaper or I can have an intern do it or whatever. In the last few months, even even the last year, I've been getting requests to do a lot more freelance design work out of the blue, not because those things aren't still there, but more so because they realize that running a small business is already hard enough. They have a lot to do. If this person has the skill set and can do it as good or better than me, and I can offload some of that work, maybe that's the better move for my business. Now, I'm a controlling person, but I'm actively looking to offload some of the social media aspects of my business, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I can do those things, but I really don't want to. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. If there's anyone out there listening that runs a social media business, feel free to reach out now. It would be a good time. Yeah. (laughs) 